This week on Bookpile Banter, we hear pages turning in order to prove a point. Welcome to Bookpile Banter. This is Amberly with Sarah and Kim. Today we are going to discuss Blue Lily, Lily Blue by Maggie Steve Vader. And this one was published in 2014 and is the third book in the Raven Cycle series. It's meant for ages 14 and up, grades nine and up. And it's kind of a teaser for the plot. With her mother still missing, Blue begins the next school year with an awareness that she could be losing everything. She doesn't know if her mother will ever return. She doesn't know if her friends can always be trusted. And she's increasingly aware that she has feelings for Gansey and he could still die. Meanwhile, Gansey is beginning to feel more vulnerable. Adam is gaining control of his abilities thanks to Persephone. And Ronan's new Latin teacher is Colin Greenmantle, the man who ordered his father to be killed. So Well done. <laughs> Thank you. So, Sarah, how did you feel about this book? It was fine. <laughs> okay. So, I think, once again, I am faced with the struggle that I did not feel there was a plot. Like, there were side plots going on. This book definitely felt like filler to me um honestly i feel like it could have been combined with the last the next book because not much happens here except set up before the next book and there's a lot of stuff in it that i wish she had spent more time developing but everything just gets like short mentions and it's all just it was very quick to read through so as a reread it was nice because it was like could do it in a couple days and, and then get it out of the way. But yeah, it's just not a book that leaves a strong impression or even really. You That's know. so funny because I know for a fact Amber had the exact opposite reaction to it. She struggled through I every struggled. page, every word, every page. I had such a hard time reading it because I could not get into it. And I was reading it and I was like, okay something has to happen here. And then I remember that the only big thing that happens is the weird Gwen, Glendower daughter thing. And then finding her and she's awake and they bring her back to the house. And I was just like, really? I just spent that many pages to get to this and now we've still got how many pages left? Oh, I know. It was Honestly, not Honestly, that's just read. kind of like a throwaway thing too. I know. But that's like that's the major thing that happens like, other than than Persephone's death. Oh, I would say that the only major thing that I saw was or the main point of the book was just having them wake up the third sleeper. The wasp thing, the wasp demon or whatever. But they didn't even um, wake it up. Piper touched the door. The last sentence is Piper touching the door. They didn't actually wake it up. In this book, we just got the last no. sentence telling us that it's going to happen. Even then, I mean, it's setting it up. I mean, you at least see it. You know that it's, like, got a carapace and it's got a bunch of legs. So, you know, it's some sort of bug thing. I thought they actually did wake it up, but when, maybe when not. When did they describe that? But, I mean, like, that's the only thing that carries over to the next book because Gwen, whatever her face is, um, I don't remember if she plays a role in the next book. And Persephone is dead, so that's the thing that happened. <laughs> When did that happen? I don't remember this. 
and she just what? read it this week. <laughs> I don't remember them ever describing the Which third thing? sleeper as a giant, like, wasp. Not giant. I think it's small. It sits on Piper's shoulder in the fourth book. But um, but when did they describe it? Did they actually describe it in this book? She's getting a copy. Because I wouldn't remember that off the top of my head. Because as far as I know, they were in oh. the tunnel. Neve yeah, shows Yeah, okay, up. so Piper... Yeah, it's it's like the last paragraph. A couple. Or... No, it's like the third. Or fourth oh, sentence. okay. By this point, I was Small just glad to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they saw it, and she touches it. Okay. So they get past the door. But okay. all the same. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. I. I was just. I was just ready to be done. <laughs> So I did not catch that it was described as a small black tiny thing. I was just like, oh, right. We got this far just for Piper to wake up the uh, thing. And that's it. That's it for this book. Yeah. 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 But you did pages of notes. Something must have happened. Um, Let's see here. Uh, My first note was, how can anyone live on yogurt? (laughs) Yes, for breakfast. No, she has, like, every meal. Her mom tells her she can't live on yogurt. And I just, like, of all the foods in all the worlds, yogurt is not my choice. (laughs) And she doesn't even eat You just hate dairy. Well, okay, dairy hates me more than I hate dairy. And she doesn't even eat the fruit at the bottom of the cup. She only eats the yogurt, and then she passes off the fruit to Gansey. Yeah, because the fruit's disgusting, so... As I say, you can buy it without the fruit. (laughs) The fruit is tasty mixed in with yogurt. Not that I've had yogurt that recent, but I remember it being tasty when it's all mixed together properly. Because of your feud with dairy. My feud with dairy that I do not win. Other than cheese. Because cheese is delicious. (laughs) But yeah, so that's my first note. Uh, Let's see here. I remember I made a comment about the fact that uh, Mora using the same minute over continues with that whole weird circular time theme that's throughout all of these books. Using the what? Uh, She talks about how she's reliving the same minute over and over again, and it's stretching out her ability to be down underground for months. And so it just reflected that weird time circular thing that we were getting in the last book and kind of started to hint at the first book. And I suspect it comes to play in the fourth book, but I can't remember how it comes to play in the fourth book because I don't remember the fourth book. I honestly feel like it doesn't really, but maybe it does. Yeah, I can't remember. And I haven't started reading that one. Bring it up enough. I feel like it's important. And then let's see. My next note is Gansey is really obsessing over dying. Which is weird because it didn't come off in the first two books that he was that obsessed over dying. And then suddenly in this book, we're being told how compulsive and obsessive he's been about it for this entire time. And it actually makes Gansey semi-likable to have these broken parts of him. But I wish we would have been given them sooner because I just don't like Gansey at this point and I don't want to now start liking him. And instead, it's like it feels like it, it was added to the character because he didn't come off as likable in the first two and it's like okay how do i repair this character i've made without completely and utterly changing him oh i'll have mallory come in and discuss about how sad and anxious gansey was you know two years ago here's my gansey rant it didn't seem weird to me i just found it annoying i mean he had just been like stung to death by wasps and was really aware of his mortality when he was with mallory and so then searching or this Glendower thing kind of helped him. Which, 
that makes sense to me. Yes, in terms of character development, that makes sense to me. In terms of when how it's written in the book, we don't get all of that previous fright until the third book. We kind of know that he's afraid of bees. We know he has to be careful about bees, but we don't actually get the sense from him how extreme that fright is until this book thanks to Mallory. And so it feels really weird to kind of backtrack on a character's history three books in for a main character. It just, to me, it, to me, it seems like it gets triggered specifically when they're in the cave and he almost falls, which almost kills him. It would have killed him if he hadn't been wearing the rope. And then he hears the bees below him. And I just feel like that kind of triggers that old anxiety and brings it back to the surface after he buried it for so long. So I don't know. It, it made sense to me. Oh, uh, from from a, a writing standpoint, it didn't make sense to me in terms of like how the character reacted. Yes, I, I think Gansey reacting the way he did make sense. Not giving us this insight in this this perspective is what I was having issues with. But otherwise, I actually might like I've liked Gansey best in this book. So, but I like this book least. <laughs> Let's see. My another insightful note is poor Noah. It must be hard to be a ghost. Because, yeah, we we got Noah in that first book. And since then, he's just kind of been like weird moments. And I, I, I really don't know why. I, I really honestly don't know why he couldn't just die with the ley line being activated. Like why his bones had to be returned and activated. I, I'm not sure what purpose he serves. Yeah. he. Do you mean that he should have died when he was originally murdered or back at the end of the first book when they reactivated the ley line and they dug up his bones when his bones were taken away and so the ghost the version line. of him died and then they brought back his ghost form i don't know why he was brought back yeah well i don't think narratively there's much purpose to it because yeah his only purpose in the story is really to i guess you know he's the reason gansy's alive and it just uh there's the whole ley line stuff going on in the first book but for the characters who were attached to him, it makes sense for them to try and save him by digging up his bones. And so, yeah, it's like it. there's not much point in the story. It's just it makes sense for the characters to have done it to try and save him. Yeah, but then you should then you should be doing something more or like right that they couldn't actually do that. They could have tried to get, you know, revive him and it'd be, oh, no, his bones were removed. You know, it no longer works. Why? Why have a character go through the entire effort to discover why he's dead, remove his ability to exist, then return his existence and then do nothing with him other than weird, like funny, awkward moments with blue that I'm not even sure if it's like just supposed to remind us that blue amplifies or he's supposed to provide blue with the ability to learn how to control her powers or what. I don't know what purpose he is serving. Like the whole weird scene in the, the office when she's talking to her counselor and he stretches up. I don't know what purpose that served. Yeah, I think that was just showing the instability of the ley line. It was making him act erratically. And then, of course, in the third book, his presence was to show how Gwen Gwenelian or whatever, mm -hmm. her name that has two L's, but apparently isn't pronounced in any way <laughs> like having two L's. Welsh. <laughs> he was there to kind of show her influence yeah, to show her influence over that area. But was it really necessary? I don't know. No. I mean, I guess the other thing, too, is that having him as a dead character 
like with Adam, it gives them a little bit more of a reason to try and find Glendower because they want to ask for Noah to come back to life. So, yeah, but I feel uh, like we're no longer sold on that needing to be a driving force. Like time isn't spent yeah, on the I character know. to make him intro like depth enough that it's like, oh my god, I need them to get find Glendower so they can bring Noah back. It says like. Okay, I, I get why they want to do this, but why, as I, as a reader, is this a driving force for me to keep reading this? All right, I have a question. Yes. Why does Glendower have the ability to bring people back to life? So all ancient kings used to be able to bring people back to life. Is is? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Honestly, this. In this I history, think it's part of the legend. Is it? Yeah. When you wake a sleeper they give you a favor, like the demon creature that's going to give a favor to Piper because she woke it up. Um, I think that was just something that they mentioned in one of the previous books. So a made-up legend, not our mythology, not not something that actually exists in, in established mythology. I don't know, since I didn't realize it was an actual king until Sarah said the other day <laughs> in the episode that that was a real person. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's mythology somewhere. I don't. I certainly don't know all the mythology, but it's not just tied to the one character. It's not Glendower's special ability. It just seems right. to be something with the ley line and sleepers. I, I, you know what? I totally agree with a writer's ability to create their own mythology that they're going to put in their stories. But when you're going to base it on real people, maybe it should be based in some of the mythology that actually exists within that society of that real person and Which i don't know that welsh mythology says that kings could bring people back to life i guess i should search that before we make assumptions here yeah we'll tell that to sarah j maas and all her books i don't but that's high City fantasy everything named after viking mythology not um, a single viking mythology to be found in there yeah that's just using names and she's she uses a she uses high fantasy alternate reality while as in this case, Steve Vader is doing you know, our world as an urban fantasy. She's using Henrietta, Virginia. So she kind of has to be accountable for at least it making sense or establishing that it's an alternate timeline, which it's or an alternate universe. And it's never established as an alternate universe. Well, I mean, by having a sleeping king and, and active ley lines <laughs> and magic does that not kind of make it an alternate universe this obviously isn't historical fiction or anything no it's not <laughs> historical fiction it's urban fantasy which can still function under the, the assumption of all history as we know it is the same there just might be minor things to it well as an alternate universe would be like hitler never dying where it splits the timeline away from our expectations of us this doesn't necessarily particularly split the timeline so. Sounds like you're making some arbitrary rules there. No. I, I think in writing, at least in the past, and again, I'm ancient, so anytime you wrote in fiction, fantasy, I won't, I won't delve into science fiction, but there were established rules. That's why Dungeons and Dragons worked, because everybody had a basic understanding of what the type of character was when you chose your, your you know, whatever it is you, you were going to be within Dungeons and Dragons. You had a backstory or a back mythology that had been established over years of writing of fantasy that enabled you to base that character in. And that's how they were able to establish all the rules that's, that existed within Dungeons and Dragons is because there is basic things 
that exist. And um, people, well, are, I, I, people are allowed to change those basic things, but you have to have a ba- understanding and then you have to fully explain why you're changing it. And sometimes I feel like in this book, that's kind of where we, we get the short end of the stick is we're not being like... <laughs> I mean, book police just like pacing down these rogue authors and just dragging them <laughs> into the street and beating them to death for not following the rules. Like, what is like, this? It's just, I think it just... I mean, d is a game, so it makes sense. But it changes one's ability to enjoy a book or understand a book if if certain expectations aren't met. And in, in this case, you enjoy the book. You're allowed to enjoy the book. I don't enjoy the book because I, it doesn't meet my expectations. Thank you. What? <laughs> Permission was established. <laughs> Why are you thinking me? You gave her permission to enjoy the book. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not policing you. I'm not going to come beat you up because you you like the book and I don't. <laughs> but I think for me in listening to you guys talk about this, and again, I haven't read the book. I don't know. So it, it kind of comes at me piecemeal. And But... And I think this may be an older philosophy in writing in that you you could create new things that happen, but you, there are rules. And and I think if you 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 look into it, you you know, certain types of characters can only do certain things. And returning people to life has always been kind of a taboo thing. It's not something you you really do. Death is supposed to mean something, at least in my experience with fantasy and so to have you can have ghosts because that's that's past death but to say that you're going to bring these ghosts back to life and it's going to be a a living human being again that kind of um that in my experience in my ancient ancient experience of life that's breaking the rules (laughs) so (laughs) to jj abrams and his palpatine which no one likes yeah, no, I, I hate <laughs> the that. negative response. 50% of people like that stupid movie. Oh, God. I but hate that stupid you, movie, but we won't you, go there. <laughs> you don't like it. And that's because it didn't follow your expectations in the rules of the established universe. It just was pulled out. There was no hinting at it beforehand. You didn't have it as established, so you didn't accept it. But I looked it up per historicuk.com. Following this defeat, one by one, Owen's castle surrendered to the English. His wife and children were captured, and by 1410, he had become a hunted outlaw. Despite the substantial rewards being offered, Owen was never captured or betrayed, and his place of hiding remains a mystery to this day. Fragments of information about him kept surfacing until 1416, when he was believed to have died somewhere, possibly on the estate of his daughter's husband in Hertfordshire, ironically, in England. Like the legend of King Arthur, Welsh legend has it that when Wales is threatened again, he will rise in order to lead the defense of Wales. The year 2000 saw the 600th anniversary of the rising and was commemorated without throughout Wales. Owen's personal standard, the quartered arms of mm, Welsh words I can't say, can now uh, can now to be seen all over Wales, especially at rugby matches against the English. So there's no, his legend doesn't have sleepers established. It's only just like King Arthur that when, when Wales needs him again, he will rise to lead them. So the sleeper aspect, at least in terms of his legend is her creation, her expansion on what is known about him. From what I can tell, which is fine. That's totally fine. People do that with Arthur all the time. They do that with Merlin. It's not that 
like expanding beyond that is the problem. It's just that then the the rules for the expansion haven't been clear in these books and it just I just can't follow it. <laughs> I mean they brought up the favor in the first book, so it's not like they're just dropping this without warning. Yeah, but I I, I, I never understand like the limitations of the favor or why what you know it doesn't have it doesn't say that Gamzee found you know an ancient artifact or an ancient manuscript that mentions the favor. I don't know where the knowledge of the favor comes from to be able to say oh okay so we're supposed to believe that there was a mysterious book that was rediscovered that told him that he could do this. Because we don't even get the implication that when he died, he was told this. He just suddenly, he died and he needed a passion and started searching Glendower and then believes that Glendower is going to give him a favor. There's no, like, written documentation to kind of forward that. But he's had his journal, so we know he's been researching this for a while. I don't necessarily need a book that covers his years of research Tracing down every single source and citing it in a book. But you don't need it to trace it every word source. You researching. Again, for me, it's just that that's where the, the fault is. I, I can understand where so, that wouldn't bother someone. For me, it's where it makes it a struggle for me personally is, is I, I needed that. I needed that thought out context. And I sometimes feel like in these books, that context isn't thought out. So. <laughs> Meanwhile. So what's your next note? My next note <laughs> is a page reference. Page 76. I went, enter next mysterious antagonistic male stranger. <laughs> because we are now oh, on the Colin. third book and we now have Colin Greenmantle, which obviously we have met him, but he first enters the book as a mysterious stranger who comes for a psychic reading before we're told that that's actually, in fact, Colin Greenmantle. And I gotta be honest, I'm getting retired of mysterious male strangers and how they affect this plot. Because none of well, them ever really. This is really the last one, so. Is it? I don't remember the last. <laughs> well, because Piper is going to be the antagonist for the next one with her little demon wasp. So. Mm. Well, thank goodness you know, we we get to have a female villain. We don't need a, another male antagonist. Thank thank goodness. Which, by the way, for context, uh, Piper is Colin's wife. So I you don't know. know who that character is. So. Colin Greenmantle is the guy who hired the gray man in the last book to find to find Ronan though he didn't know originally he was looking for Ronan and who was responsible for uh, requesting for Ronan's father to be killed so I just yeah my, my note is that look yet again we have a mysterious male stranger it is a trope it's <laughs> even a trope in like when people commit murders and they want to blame somebody else it's the shaggy haired stranger you know yeah. so <laughs> It's a valid trope. It is. I just, I, I had to make a note that yet again, <laughs> we're a third book and we have a new male stranger. Uh, and then let's see next. I, oh yeah. And next I was just like chapter 12, finally a slightly likable, imperfect Gansey. I can't remember why I could probably look up chapter 12. And I did appreciate the fact that he does want to it's ask for Noah's Adam. about who Adam. What did Adam? Oh, <laughs> this was the, yeah, this was the first time he was like, I could stand him in a book. So see, I was yeah. indifferent to him in this book. Throwing that out there. <laughs> um, and I did appreciate the fact that Gansey has decided that he wants to ask for Noah's life. However, it's really confusing when they all have expectations as to what they want to ask 
Glendower, and I don't know if they each get a get a wish, basically, or if they're all trying to now beat each other to the punch to ask for their wish. So it's really confusing to have so many wishes. Oh. Adam wants well, to save. What are Adam, their wishes? Uh, Adam wants to prevent Gansey from being killed. Uh, oh, Gansey wants to ask for Noah to come back to life. And I think Ronan wants to, I don't know if it's necessarily that he, he has a wish that he wants to give to Glendower, but he has the goal of wanting to be able to allow his mom to go back to the to the barn. Um, so his home is called the barn. And so I don't know if he's hoping to ask Glendower in order to, or Glendower slash Caveswater to be able to do that, or he doesn't really believe in Glendower. And so he's just kind of going to mm-hmm. figure it out on his own. Yeah, I didn't really get that impression from him. I feel like he just goes along with the Glendower stuff because Gansey's interested in it. Yeah, which is kind of what I I figured. But definitely Adam and Gansey have conflicting wishes. And I don't know if we're supposed to be rooting for a particular wish, if we're supposed to just be enjoying their conflicting wishes and it's supposed to create more drama. I feel like I say a lot. I don't know. (laughs) To be fair... Gansey does not know that he is going to die, whereas Adam knows he is going to die. So they can't really say, hey, yo, we're going to ask Glendower so that you don't die. No reason. Just to be safe, you know? Don't worry. You're well, fine. Sol- Everything's fine. The solution to that would be if Blue would just freaking tell Gansey, but, or Adam. Adam now knows. I can't believe that he it didn't turn around and be like, I need to tell my friend this. That, uh the level of let's keep shit from Gansey drives me nuts. And the fact that Gansey can't really like catch on to it. Like he's suspicious. He knows something's up. He's starting to catch on that they're not telling him something or something's going on. But the we're just going to keep these details from each other without any like real valid reason. Like Blue kind of had a valid reason because she was an outsider there for a while. But now... These are teenagers, so I have to remind myself they are teenagers being teenagers, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't... It's mostly Gansy. They're not telling him that he's going to die. I mean, the other thing that they were keeping withholding was the fact that Blue would kill whoever she kissed, and they withheld that from Adam. So they've kind of been withholding secrets just from each other, kind of evenly. I don't know. For, for being a group of best friends, it's annoying. Well, and then there's the whole, you know, Adam and Ronan working together to frame Colin Greenmantle for being a, a child, whatever, murderer at the very least, although the implication was more than that, uh, using Ronan's dreams. And they just decided they weren't going to tell Gansey because he would be offended that they were doing this in order to protect and get Green, Greenmantle out of henrietta um so there's that secret being kept as well so like i said it's (laughs) i don't know i think i think dwelling on people keeping secrets from other people is kind of redundant in 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 any form of storytelling at least in modern ages because that is the entire thing if you watch a, a a drama tv show it's because people aren't talking to each other if you read a book it's because people aren't talking to each other which is all really kind of you just sit there and through the entire show and through the entire book going good god if you would just speak if you would just speak all of this would be redundant and this two hour two and a half hour four hour movie would have ended 
10 minutes in. And yeah, so that, that's one of my biggest pet peeves with modern writing. It's just like, why doesn't anybody speak to each other anymore? But, you know, yeah, that's just my opinion. I, I agree on that one. I don't know if Sarah agrees on it or not, but I agree that it is. I agree. I just don't get that feeling from this book as much. Oh. Um, but it is something that annoys me in general. Yeah. Fair. And then kind of going off on that secrets, I wrote down, I'm like, do Blue and Gansey feel guilty because they're not telling Adam or are they feeling guilty because they like not telling him? Because they end up talking late at night. They end up going for car rides and all this kind of stuff. And the two of them have like this weird, like pleasurable guilt out of doing it. And they keep saying it's because they can't tell Adam. They don't want to tell Adam because Adam was into blue. But I kind of feel like they like having the secret going on with the kind of the secret theme there. Did you get that impression, Sarah? Or am I just... I think you just don't... <laughs> I think you just don't like Gansy, so you just automatically assume the worst. I just got the fact that they felt guilty that they wanted to be together, but they didn't want to do that to Adam because it felt like a betrayal of him. Not that they're like... <laughs> Well, not, doesn't know. <laughs> no, okay, not like malicious guilt, but like you you know when you you have a like a, a secret and you almost enjoy it more because it is a secret than necessarily because you need to keep the secret. So I got the impression you both just said the exact same thing, but Amber took it with a negative point of view and Sarah took it with a positive <laughs> point of view. So yes, they're both getting pleasure out of the secret as one would when one's sneaking around and feeling good about what they're doing. However, Amber finds it unattractive and you, it, it doesn't bother you, Sarah. So I think you're saying the exact same thing. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if we were or not. Yeah. That's I, was the, also, that, <laughs> I was also waiting for you to say that, that Sarah finds it attractive. I'd be like, I don't know. I didn't No, I know better than that. <laughs> no, Sarah well enough to know that dirty little secrets are not. No, no. I have a feeling that Sarah would very uh, straightforward tell you exactly how she felt about <laughs> any secret you kept or or whatever. But yeah, no. But yes, you were definitely saying the exact same thing. Okay. They're keeping a secret and they're getting something out of it, which anybody keeping a secret, the only reason why you keep the secret is because you get something out of it. It's just a matter of your perception and whether you think it's okay for them to keep that secret and, and get their pleasure out of it. Or if you think, yeah, maybe they shouldn't be keeping a secret. Oh, yeah. Let me see. And I think that was it on my Gansey and Blue comments. So that won't be coming back up. <laughs> I, I had nothing more to say about them. Oh, I did find it funny that Blue was potentially named for the color of her aura. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. indignant about it. <laughs> so, okay. We find out that Mallory, who is Gansey's like ancient friend who studies ley lines, he explains that he can see auras. And he tells Blue that she has a blue aura. And she basically is like, seriously, I thought I got this cool, creative, unique name. You know, oh, no one names their child Blue. And it's it's like calling your puppy puppy because it's uh -huh. a puppy. <laughs> or cat cat or snowball or what have you. <laughs> oh. I, I actually really like the idea of being named after the color of your aura. We would need a lot more colors in the universe in order to actually do that with people. But I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love the fact that she was indignant about that. I always enjoy blues indignant moments. Like they're usually pretty righteous. 
and fair in terms of things that she gets indignant about and that that was one of them also i think it's jesse is how it said jess how did you see it or that name sarah and it was spelled context Oh, I'm, I was going to say more, but I don't oh, know Jessie. how to say it. Jesse. Okay. It is, yeah, yeah. 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 I have it. I have it noted that one, I adored him. I liked him as a character. I'm like, and I said, he makes me think of Southern Haggard. Oh. <laughs> like, 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 I was like, he makes me think of Haggard from Harry Potter, but like the Southern version. So in wife beaters and talking, talking with a Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not lying about the wife beaters because Blue makes a comment in her head that that has to be the biggest wife beater she's ever seen anyone manage to wear mm-hmm. because she didn't know men could be this big. He guards the cave that the sleeper one of or that some of the sleepers are in. <laughs> but yes, I just had to note that he very much made me think of like a white trash version of Akron. Really, <laughs> Ray. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that's how they're trying to describe him they have she has it that he has trash all in his front yard he's wearing a wife beater he only eats spaghettios like i'm not it's horrible i'll keep i'll keep my comments to myself on that one it's horrible to describe it that way but that's oh, no, how he was share. presented no 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 comments she's just gonna, on the she's derogatory just, crap behind wife beaters no well actually he's a very affectionate man and he you know wants his family to come back they left because of the curse no i know nothing to do with the character it has to do with the background behind wife beaters i know but i'm only repeating the words used in the book yeah we'll leave it at that (laughs) i won't go on a rant (laughs) So it's a horrible way to refer to a piece of clothing. Yes, it very, uh, yeah. very much is. And it implies something about the wearer that it shouldn't imply. Ding, ding, ding. However, that's yeah. how he was described. And so therefore, not like he was not described as being a wife beater. Wife beater. He just wears, wears wife one. <laughs> but but the implication, uh, never mind. I wasn't yeah. going to go off on this. <laughs> Never mind. We'll You're let the it go. one who said that we should fall down these rabbit holes. Uh, not these rabbit holes. <laughs> There's some rabbit holes that need to be left alone. Southern Haggard. Okay. He reminded That's me. Southern Haggard. It's Southern Haggard. <laughs> and he was adorable. And I'm sad that how he died. <laughs> Even though he was cursed to die. Also, did his name come up in the first book? No, they don't actually list any of the names of the people. They might list some of them, but she doesn't like actually write out a whole list in the book with wish, the names. I wish his name had been used in the first book, even in passing. She's not going to write all like 30 something people. No, but she could have like named off a couple of names and actually having like his name because Blue was like, this name is familiar. And I'm like, why is this name familiar, Blue? But to have had that aha moment with Blue would have been nice. That's all I'm saying is I would have loved to been like, wait, wait, we've heard this name before. What? What does it mean? But you kind of get that already because you know that the list exists from book one. You don't have to necessarily read everything out in black and white to enjoy it later on. I don't know, man. You want everything spelled out for you. I do not want everything spelled out for me. I like those little like Easter egg aha moments. I just, I thought it would, in it, it shows the author is thinking ahead. 
And I like to know that the author is actually thinking ahead on their story. And so I like the idea of knowing that Jesse is this character that was always going to eventually happen rather than potentially being a device that we just needed for this part of the story. So that, that's just my take on that sort of thing. Is uh, I like. No, I, I get the sense that this was thought out. <laughs> Again, I, I don't feel the same way. I did enjoy Ronan telling Adam about Matthew when he's not told anybody else. I know you don't like Adam, but I love the way that they they slowly kind of unfold. I liked him in this book well enough. I just I'm surprised that you're not mad that Matthew being a dream wasn't referenced more clearly in an earlier book. It just seems <laughs> weird. Wow. Uh, actually, I thought it was referenced pretty clearly in the previous books because there was implications that there, Matthew didn't feel like a full person and that they regularly talk about the fact that Matthew looked a lot like Aura, Aurora, his mother, rather than looking like Ronan and Declan. So, yes, I do think that there were pretty clear indications to <laughs> say that Matthew was not human. Right. <laughs> I think the clues were about as clear as they were for anything else that comes up. But what is <laughs> Okay, so I'm kind of curious on your take, Sarah. The scene where Ronan pulls out his other self and it dies. Okay. Do you think the original Ronan died and the copy lived? Or do you think the original Ronan lived and the copy died? Oh, I just assumed the copy died. Okay. I wasn't sure. Like, I'll be but honest. I guess there wouldn't really be a way to know for sure. Well, Actually, if the original had died, then the copy would have fallen asleep the minute the co- the original died. But do we know that for a fact? Because I mean, we, that's the established don't... truth. But no, oh no, it's that the dreamer's other objects stopped working. Could the copy become the dreamer? I don't believe that's possible. Okay, because the <laughs> copy would a dream thing okay i mean I just, unless they're in the forest where the dream would be animated I, I was just curious it was it was a thought i had i was just like which one is the true ronin what i was wondering oh sorry no go ahead what i was wondering is um for the copy like is it just an empty shell or is it like a copy of ronin completely with memories and thoughts and feelings and so it dies in agony as ronin like, you know, is it a fully aware, conscious creature that dies horrendously or just a shell that's alive that isn't anymore? From so from the last book where we established that the cars couldn't work unless they were fully thought out. I get the impression that they were actually probably like exact replicas with memories and stuff because Ronan needed to dream up a convincing enough version for himself to distract the night terrors. So I think, and by the way, Ronan is acting it, having to watch his own like body convulsing and stuff. I think he knows that it is a, essentially an exact replica in every sense of him. And it is like watching him die. Like more so than watching his physical self die. Yeah, that's kind of how it felt for me too. It was like, (laughs) (laughs) it was a really dark dark. moment. (laughs) Like really dark. And I think... I think that's the point in this series where I went, I really wish we had a a series on Ronan and I'm glad there is a series because there's clearly so much more detail in that whole dreaming process that we are not given in this that I I could have spent 
chapters exploring. I'm always, those were always are always the most interesting chapters to me. Is dealing with the complexity of what Ronan can do because we are slowly given those rules as to how it works as he better understands it. And there are clearly very set rules that have to be followed. So I find that interesting. However, I was really confused as to how he could bring out his dying self and not the night terrors attached to his dying self, unless I misunderstood that situation. I think it was just, I don't think he meant to bring back the dead thing either. Um, I think it was just accidental, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. I wasn't sure. I, think I he didn't just know. wanted the evidence and he really didn't mean to pull anything. <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't sure if it was just me like not reading a moment because I was not paying attention enough or what have you. And then I did love the moment on page 168 when Ronan said that he valued Adam as a magician. I liked that. Yeah. I liked I do that. like the Adam and Ronan stuff. It's so sweet and so cute and it just develops slowly and it very much is that, that I know a trope you don't necessarily particularly care for that friendship to like lovers kind of situation where you get to learn about them as they realize what they want from each other. Yeah, it's also like the only time that Adam is at least up until now, it's the only time that what am I trying to say? The only time I can stomach Adam, maybe, but that's not quite true because he was fine for this book. Oh, Ronan is like the only one that Adam doesn't. I don't, he doesn't really lash out at Ronan ever, does he? They kind of bicker at first in the first book. Like there's an implication that at least up until Blue gets into the situation where they tolerate each other because they both wanted to be Gansey's friend, but not necessarily that they would have been friends without Gansey up until that point where where Adam makes the decision to press charges against his dad rather than risk Rodin being hurt. I think that's the first time we get the the true, yes, we are actually friends. Hmm. That is true. Yeah, I forgot about like the kind of antagonistic teasing that happened in the first book. Yeah, but it, um, to be fair, it's kind of hard to... It's still not as hostile. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's hard to identify it as them not being friends because Ronan just antagonizes everyone. He's antagonistic towards Gansey and he's antagonistic towards Blue. So it's not like, oh, yeah. he can't, they can't be friends, but I don't get that, that true sense of friendship until that moment when Ronan makes, or Adam makes that decision to protect his friend over his family. I also liked the fact that we finally addressed why and when Adam can, will accept gifts from his friends, because that did come up. I made a note of it on page 293, because I knew you that that has been a hot point for us. And Adam does finally explain in his chapter hey. that he was willing to accept a tie from Gansey. And he says why he basically is talking to himself and he's like, why, why is it? I'm okay with this tie, but I can't accept a car. I can't accept living with him. What is it? And he, he notes to more to himself than anyone else that it's because he bought a tie for himself previously. So it didn't feel like charity. And for him, it's that feeling of charity versus not feeling like a charity case that allows him to accept gifts not the greatest reasoning but at least we do get some development on that unless you disagree (laughs) yeah and he acknowledges he is sometimes an asshole and that he has a problem with pride a little bit so it's like there we go there's some development yeah which he always has and he uh page 304 why did i put 304 he said something about money that let me see if i actually Oh, yeah, because uh, he 
Blue handed over a five. My contribution. There was a pause. He took it. At the window, he exchanged their combined funds for a map, which he gave back to Blue. And I think once again, that shows for him, it's not that he doesn't want help, but he needs to feel like an equal in receiving the help. You know, he he had his money and Blue had her money and they worked together as opposed to him just taking, say, Blue's money. Um, not that he would have just taken Blue's money. But again, I, I think I wish she had established these constrictions that he places. Restrictions. I don't think constrictions is a word. So I'm going to say restrictions um, that she had established what his restrictions were earlier on so that people could like him more. Maybe he wasn't meant to be particularly likable in those other books. Maybe, but then who was supposed to be likable? Yanzi? Oh, sorry. Shush. (laughs) (laughs) Was Yanzi supposed to be likable or was he supposed to be indifferent? I, I I haven't read the books. I have uh, no, no I know. Idea. I'm asking Sarah. I think did you he was supposed to be likable? Okay, so you viewed him as likable in the first two books, or did you just find him indifferent? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't much memorable about him. Okay, but he was likable as just the standard protagonist character who is okay. kind of the driving force between the plot. Um, yeah, again, it's not like it's like oh, Gansey, my favorite. He's awesome, but you know. It's like, he's fine. He's doing what he can. He's not terrible. (laughs) (laughs) This is a glowing review for Gansy coming from you. (laughs) He is not terrible. I I completely take everything back. Gansy is the most wonderful character ever. (laughs) And for those who can't see me, I am smiling and being completely and utterly silly. And Sarah knows I am. I'm not insulting her or anything like that. I just, (laughs) it's just hilarious that I, I don't know. Like maybe Blue. I think Blue is the only character, but I didn't like her in the second one. Uh, maybe Ronan. I, I I really struggle to decide but who. You kind of go through phases because like, like in the first book, Ronan's pretty annoying. I mean, it makes sense, but he is kind of hard to like. Um, but then you do kind of like Blue as you, as the introductory character to this world. And Gansey is, is fine. Uh, he's... You know, nothing too remarkable. And then Adam is is also fine. I know it's kind of interesting. But then, yeah, the second book, you get Adam becomes very, not hostile, but just difficult. He's hurting. Yeah. And Ronan becomes, you see more of Ronan. So Ronan becomes more, um, shoot, where are my words? Not in my head. Tolerable. Um, Relatable? Relatable. Tolerable? Yeah, something like that, where you just understand him better. Blue, I don't even remember. Gansy stays the same-ish. He's kind of just baseline character. Not bad. I gotta say... Not overwhelmingly awesome. In all of the things that you guys have been saying about these books, this is the most interested I've become. Because clearly none of these characters are perfect, which you don't want when you read a character... And obviously this author has put some effort into acknowledging that her characters have flaws. So many authors, there's one or two characters that it's like, okay, where's the flaw? Where's the flaw in this character? And and she clearly has put a lot of effort into not having that perfect character. So suddenly these characters are much more interesting to me than they have been in the last, what, 
for six hours that we've put into these books. Um, so that that to me is much more appealing and it makes these characters much more appealing. I, I still struggle with the fact that clearly this is dragging out over a lot of books and it seems like it should be much more ev- evident earlier on, which Sarah doesn't like things to be real evident earlier on. And that's clearly something that Amber and I like is that we feel like there should be a path that is established in a book and, and that you know where that path is going on some level, even if it's a subconscious level. But the, I mean, at least you don't have characters that aren't developing and they're not stagnant and they are develop, you know, changing as they go. So that, that's a, that's a good quality in a book as far as I'm concerned. And they definitely do. And I had forgotten that Gansey actually starts to see progress these last two books. But again, I think I've established that these last two books, I don't, I don't remember. And I feel like the last two books could have been one book. I don't, I don't know that, that there was enough there for me to like have desired four books. I, I could be wrong. You, you like this series, Sarah. Do you like that it's four books? Well, like I said at the beginning, this one does feel more like filler and it should have probably been just combined into the last book because there were so many things that I almost got frustrated with during this book where I just wanted more. Like I wanted more interactions with the gray man and blue. Like I Mm love their interactions. It was amazing because it's like she has like almost this father figure when she grew up without a father and always in this house of women. So it was just this different perspective. And then there were moments like where the, she kind of gave a little bit of attention to like Ronan and Blue becoming friends. But I would have loved more exploration of that. Like any platonic relationships, love them, but they always get overlooked. But it's like, I just, there were like little hints of their developing friendship and I really wanted more and you don't get it. And it frustrates me. Yeah. I think sometimes with this book, it feels like too much effort is being made to try to make secondary characters feel like main characters. And so we get hints of each interaction and we get like those little tidbits that make it interesting, but we don't get that like, like if this was just from Blue's perspective, we'd get more narrowed into her interactions with all of the guys and get a stronger sense of that developing. Or even if you say it was her and Ronan's perspective, you know, we, we would get a narrower view that would give us more of that focus. Instead, I sometimes feel like it's trying too hard to make too many characters the main character without actually making them the main character that we only get like tidbits of what we want and we have to like struggle through the parts we don't want in order to get to what we want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Who would you say are the main characters? You know, starting out, I would have been like, it's blue and Gansey. But the more I read this, the more Gansey doesn't feel like a main character. And the more blue doesn't feel like a main character. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I would say that she tries to make Blue, Gansey, Adam, and Ronan all main characters. And yeah, they all have very separate storylines going on. So it's hard when she's trying to develop each one individually in one book. And then we get the 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 antagonist perspective. We have to spend time with Colin Greenmantle. We have to spend time with Greyman. We have to spend time with Well. So even then they become a main character without really being a main character. And it, it just it sometimes feels spread too thin 
And yet I wish the books were shorter. I wish there was one less of them. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know how I can both want more of something and not want so much of it. So one of the hardest things in writing is um, having too many characters. A lot of, a lot of writers think it gives a book depth if you have all of these characters so that, so that again, you have depth. So maybe had she not had so many characters and concentrated more on some more specific characters, it would be an easier book to read and it would be easier to like characters. Yeah. Just a perspective. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree. I would have liked if it was just focusing on Blue and Ronan. Give us Gansey, Adam and Noah from Blue and Ronan's perspective. I don't know that we needed... I don't know that we need Gansey's perspective on occasion. I don't think we need Adam's perspective on occasion. In fact, it might make Adam more tolerable to have seen flaws and seen appreciation of who he is at the same time. Whether that be through Blue when she first thought she had feelings for him or through Ronan when he clearly does have feelings for him. And again, with Gansey, if we, we've just focused in on... Blue observing Gansey and Ronan observing Gansey, then we get less of that repetition of, oh, perfect Gansey, perfect Gansey, perfect Gansey. When you have four characters or three to four characters telling you a character is perfect, it's annoying and exhausting. While as if it was just Blue thinking he was perfect and then slowly realizing he's not perfect, then I probably would have liked him better because I would have been coming through that revelation with her as opposed to being like, really, all four of these people don't know this guy? (laughs) <laughs> they don't understand him he's his mask is that strong but they're they're living with him and one's supposed to know him a really long time because i always got the implication that ron no knew adam or new gansey maybe not po- pre-gansey being dead but pre-algenby i don't think so well he knew Ronan's- i think it mentioned i think it mentioned that he knew ronan for like a month before his father got murdered Oh, see, that's so weird because he talks about, oh, pre, pre, pre death Ronan or pre father loss Ronan. Like it's something that he knew for a really long time and was craving and missing and and had to, you know, kind of wishes he could find again. I never got the implication that that was fresh, new friendship. But again, I I just. Yeah, maybe it was a year. Okay. That makes maybe a little bit more sense. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this book does kind of break down a timeline of when they met. But yeah. I don't know why I'm flipping through the pages as if I'm going to magically fall in this one single paragraph. Tell me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like it wasn't... Like, they didn't know each other from childhood, but yeah. No, see, sometimes I felt like it was they knew each other from childhood. Sometimes I felt like it was he knew Gansey before he came into Algen B. And then sometimes I get the implication that they, you know met when he first came to Algen B, but I can't even tell how long Anzi, if Gansey has spent his whole high school career there, only a year. I don't know. It's really confusing because they talk about Gansey moving around constantly, but he's only like 16 or 18, or eight, 17 or 18. But that he, he said he'd been there for two years. Okay. And then he was with Mallory like uh, two years I before that. I, I don't be know. completely wrong. Yeah, I... <laughs> It doesn't help that oh, then yeah, there's the theme of two years with Mallory doesn't help. We then get that like theme of circular time. And so I can't trust time because we're always talking about how, or it, it, the book's always talking about how time is this, like you can't measure time in this book. And it's weird. But I feel like that only applies to the ley line, like Cabeswater 
and things that are happening along the ley line. So when they're outside of the ley line, it's not like they're repeating their lives or anything like that. Oh no, I know that it just, it, it, it creates that weird sense of, I can't rely on what I understand for the timeline. Cause I don't understand how far out the ley line affects the, the town, you know, we, I don't know. It's it like, again, it, it just, there are times where it's weird and it's hard. And again, I, do, I don't know how long Ronan and Gansey have been friends. And yeah, I mostly would have liked it if it was just narrowed down a bit more in terms of who the main characters are. We would have had a lot less to argue about, I feel like. <laughs> Probably. So we beat this book to death? Uh, maybe. Let me see here. I have another... I have one more note at least. It's a short book. Oh, I really, again, I feel like we got one of those great moments where Blue shows what it feels like to be female. So, you know, in the last book, it was uh, when Adam accused her of like being a feminist and stuff because she didn't want to kiss him. And this time, again, it was Adam, but the experience she had at the gas station um, where, or yeah, yeah, it was at the gas station. Expand. Uh, I'm trying. Sorry. Give me just a second. (laughs) So they're standing at the gas station and a guy makes some comment about something that Blue is wearing or what have you um, or her appearance. And she gets really angry. And Adam basically tells her she has nice legs, nice legs. Thank you. And Adam goes, oh, you know, why? Why should that be a problem? And then they're driving. And then because I have it marked, finally, Blue whispered. It's like if someone said to you, nice sweater, dude, when you were in an Algin uniform what i wanted you to know why i got so angry at that old guy i've been trying to think of a way to explain it i know you don't get it but that's why and so i do appreciate the fact that continuously blue expresses the struggles of being female when she is in an all-male group of friends yeah i mean i remember that moment i don't know that i had any feelings about it one way or another Okay, well, I have feelings about it because I have had, well, when I was a teenager, particularly a teenage girl, I had multiple times where comments were made about my legs or the color of my skin because I'm very, very pale. I I distinctly remember it wasn't men or boys at that time, but it was actually other girls. I was wearing a skirt to school one day and they told me that I shouldn't be wearing that skirt because I was too pale. I was too white. My skin was too glowy for their liking and I shouldn't wear a skirt. And I was regularly told on multiple occasions that, you know, I shouldn't wear particular articles, articles of clothing because I was female or I'd have, you know, boys make comments when they didn't need to be making comments about what kind of sweater I was wearing or what kind of top I was wearing or, you know, how my pants fit me or didn't fit me. So to, to see just a, a female character expressing you, you you can't understand, Adam. You you know, the only way I can equate this to you is how put off you'd be if someone just labeled you as an Algin B-boy when you're trying to be so much more. And for me, her mm-hmm. saying that the pain is that, you know, I'm more than just a pair of legs and I should have the right to say to someone, I'm more than just a pair of legs. So... I appreciated it. I liked it like the last moment where we get to see Blue being strong and not compromising just because she hangs out with a bunch of boys. You know, very easily could be like, oh, yeah, right. I shouldn't talk about my legs or, you know, 
making her more masculine in order to make her fit in with the boys. But instead, she very much gets to be herself and the boys either take it or leave it. So that is my pro blue rant for the evening. (laughs) And I'm proud of her. And I'm proud of the fact that once again, Adam, when reconsidering the context of the situation, does agree with her instead of fighting her. He doesn't deny her that discomfort um just like when she got mad at him he didn't try to deny her her anger he instead stepped back he was angry himself but he stepped back um and again in this situation he could recognize that yeah just being a pair of legs is a problem so yes that is my rant yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you had similar experiences like that growing up no (laughs) oh Neither did I, but most I remember one time, though. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one time um, in middle school, uh, we got this, they renovated one of the bathrooms. So it had like automatic toilets and everything. It was really nice. And the first time I walked in there to use it, like there was some, I don't know, I guess they would be like popular girls. They were in there and then they looked at me and they're like, this bathroom is for girls. And I was just so confused Mostly because they like, acknowledged that I was there and that they were talking to me. So I just like walked past them and used the bathroom because I was like, what are they talking about? I am a girl. And then later I was like, oh, they were just being mean. I didn't use that bathroom again. But that was like the only time. Sarah, you just. And it's probably because I always wore like. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I'm, I'm a mother. A that, no, just because for anyone to have to hear shit like that from another human being, it just makes me like, like I was just about to say, nobody said shit like that to me when I was a kid because I was terrifying. I, 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 if somebody was to say something like that, me, I'd have been in their face and yeah, it wouldn't have ended pretty, but so I I never had crap like that put on me. And it, it makes me so frustrated that anybody has to go through crap like that. And, And so, yeah, that hearing that story, you know, I lived Amber's experiences because I remember the concert where the one drunk asshole was commenting, why don't you get a tan? It's like, dude, if she could tan, she would tan. But she's an Irish girl. She ain't going to tan. She'll burn. She'll be white. She'll burn. She'll be white. And 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 then to have his friend come up later and apologize to you, you know, it, it, it was just like, why can't people just keep their crap to themselves? Because it, it just proves their insecurities. It doesn't. It, yeah. It, well, it, yeah. I would, and I, and I could be wrong in this, but I think another key factor in the difference between your experience and our experience is when we were at least in high school, that's when they were establishing the, the no physical violence. There was no, you couldn't like, I never hurt anybody. Well, no, I know you wouldn't hurt anyone, but you scared them because I scared people. I, I scared people, but I still got those kinds of comments, but it was because making those comments didn't cause you to get in trouble reacting to those comments got you in trouble zero tolerance came up when you you were yeah there wasn't zero tolerance when i was a kid you you resolved your issues behind the schoolhouse after after school yeah so and so i different environment we became more actually more vulnerable to those kinds of comments because like sarah the only you, you either look confused you react or you walk away 
and reacting you could you were limited and they knew you were limited because if you you know if you slapped them if you yelled at them um and you were the one caught being overheard yelling at them then you were in trouble even if they started it. And it was, I remember there were times when I'd be in arguments with other classmates and I, I never got in trouble, but I have teachers will be like, well, I didn't witness them starting it. And I was like, no, they know how to start it without you witnessing it. <laughs> they know how to make those snide comments and they make those tall, small snide comments rapidly and regularly until it eats at you. Yep. I, I would, I would, oh, it's a dangerous thing to say, but I would say that it, that the the zero zero tolerance policy was actually more detrimental to mental health than um, anything that people from my generation or older dealt with when it came to the physical retributions that that when you know actual fights occurred and and um, it doesn't protect you know, the victim. No, no. I mean, I remember being in junior high and one kid was being picked on. And they were being physical with him. And I looked at his friends and I'm like, but why are you guys just standing here? And they're like, well, we don't want to get beat up. And I'm like, stand up for your friend. And, and they're like, no, we're not going to do this. But the fight occurred in the, the, the unfortunate kid that didn't have a snowball's chance. And you know what, of, of, of defending himself, he got beat up a little bit and it was over and, and you moved on. There wasn't the as much of the mental impact as all of the underhanded stuff that occurs more these days. But until we actually start to uh, deal with both of the situations and accept that you don't have to see everything, you kind of have to listen to both points of view and and come to a logical conclusion as to who's doing what until we get to that stage in schools, it's, it's all going to be a problem. Yeah. However, I don't say, I lucked out that eventually I figured out if you have big male friends, people don't mess with you. And then, then you can turn around and protect people. Like Sarah, if anyone had ever said that kind of comment to you around me, (laughs) I would have used big words. I was the sort of person who told a person off without yelling and without using cuss words. It scared the crap out of them. It was great. Nothing's better than a six foot four or six foot two high school dude who thinks he's going to one up you. And then you start talking and you're using like half the words you're saying he doesn't understand. And he's just staring at you and you're like, yeah. What you gonna do now? I'm only five foot three, but what you gonna do now? You can't argue back. <laughs> so I just would you have that. liked that, Sarah, or would you rather have just stayed under the radar and 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 moved on like you did? I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know because it's not something that like happened to me a lot. This was just like yeah, one incident, once or twice, maybe like three times. There were similar incidents, but like just in middle school high school was fine um yeah i don't i guess it would depend on the the amount of witnesses because it's like if there's a lot of people and it's going to make a huge scene yeah i would not want to no but i learned how to not get caught (laughs) i i learned the game i played the game i never insulted anyone but i learned how to play the game um, but when one is only five foot three and curvy and underestimated, <laughs> it's very easy to play the game. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, we went far off the, off the. Not really. I mean, we're discussing teenage girls. Blue is a teenage yeah. girl. 
and it does regularly come in up in the books how she handles being female and it's only fair that we as females discuss how we handled being female <laughs> however i don't know what else there is to say does anyone else have any further comments or are we ready to head towards rating and on all that kind of stuff i'm ready unless you have more yeah i can't think of anything so i'm ready okay so first up sarah what did you give this book in terms of a rating like a 3.5 it was definitely not as good as the other ones but i still enjoyed it unlike you know i know you didn't care for it as much but i still again enjoyed parts of it i gave it a three which for me a three is like a okay i read it i didn't throw it across the room yeah murphy is noisy he just woke up up. (laughs) he's he's wanting love he just woke up (laughs) Um, kitty so yeah i gave it a, a three it wasn't it's not the worst thing i've ever read I've obviously been willing to read it more than once. It's not my favorite thing to read. It did not leave an emotional impact. And I am excited that we will be getting to the final book next week and we can start doing other books too. I'm sure everyone, anyone listening, I shouldn't say everyone listening, anyone listening is probably getting to the point where they're done with us talking about Gansey and Adam and (laughs) would like a conclusion to this so we can move on to something more interesting or different interesting not more interesting that's not fair you really like this book people do find this interesting just a different kind of interesting uh and then i didn't have any books for recommendations that were similar to it did you by chance have anything because i don't i don't think so no i'm not going to for the next book either i can tell you that already which is fair it really is one that's hard to like say it's like this so on that note Our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman and is called The Battle of the Nile from Epidemic Sound. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Bookpile Banter on, uh, we're hoping to be on iTunes. Uh, As of the time of recording this, we aren't on iTunes yet. We are trying. So you can find us on Spotify, on Amazon Music, on Podbean, I think on Google Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on any of our social media platforms, such as Instagram or TikTok. You can find us at book underscore pile underscore banter. <laughs>